Okay, here we are, Understanding Your Religion, The Seven Major Doctrines That Define Christianity. This is lesson number 12. We're talking about the sub-doctrine of redemption. And the title of this lesson is What Atonement Achieves. Okay, so this series on Christian doctrine, you, know, you have to understand it, it, it's like a puzzle where each week we add one more piece in order to complete the picture. These sub-doctrines, especially what I'm talking about, you know, they're not separate and apart. They're not standalone things. They, they all snap into each other. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, they explain each other, uh, if you will. So, so far, these are the pieces that we have uh, put into place. Uh, first of all, uh, we're studying the major doctrines into which all the stories and all the teachings can be Fitted. So we began with, let me get this up. Okay, so we began with, first of all, the major doctrine of the inspiration of the Bible, then the major doctrine of the uh, divinity of Christ. Uh, next, we studied the uh, doctrine of original goodness, you know, where God creates the world and man originally as good. The next major doctrine was the fall of man. Uh, I explained that man willfully disobeyed God and sets into motion the deterioration and death of himself and the creation. Number five, major doctrine, the doctrine of reconciliation. And the doctrine of reconciliation says that God is working through history in, uh, in order to save man and reconcile man back to himself, back to a right relationship with him. Now, the bulk of our study so far has focused on this fifth major doctrine of reconciliation. As I have shown that this fifth doctrine has 10 sub-doctrines that explain you know, why and how and for what purpose God has reconciled man back to himself. So as far as these sub-doctrines under reconciliation, we've looked at three of these sub-doctrines so far. The first one was the doctrine of election. And the doctrine of election says uh, that God chose or elected Jesus Christ to be the one through whom uh, He would reconcile man to Himself. That's the doctrine of election. God chooses or elects Christ to be the one through whom the work necessary to be done to bring man back to Himself would be done. Second sub-doctrine, the doctrine of predestination. That doctrine taught that God knew in advance that His plan to reconcile man back to Himself through Jesus would work. And so the doctrine of predestination simply explains God's foreknowledge. He, because He is outside of time, He knows how things end, if you wish. Uh, the doctrine of predestination teaches that God knew in advance that His plan would work. Okay? Uh, then, of course, we, talked, we started talking about the doctrine of atonement, the doctrine that explains the method that God would use to achieve reconciliation, and the method that He would use would be the death of one in exchange for the life of another. You know, the death of one in exchange for the life of another, that's called atonement. So if you're asking yourself, well, well, how would God achieve this reconciliation? Well, He would achieve it through a process called atonement, the exchange of one for another. Okay? So today we're going to start studying the fourth sub-doctrine, and that's the doctrine of redemption. 
Now we could say in short form that atonement permits redemption. Atonement permits redemption. All right, so let's take a look at the redemption, the meaning of the word. Another definition of redemption would say that redemption is what Christ achieves with His atonement. Atonement is the act, redemption is the result. Now the word in the Greek, which is translated into the English word redemption, the word in the Greek means to be freed or to be liberated, uh, to be ransomed or acquitted or released. So the basic ideas represented by this word are the following. First of all, to buy back something that has been forfeited because one has failed to pay the debt. All right, so I'm explaining all the facets of meaning of this word uh, in the Greek that is translated into the English word redemption. So one of the things that it means is to buy back something that has been forfeited because one has failed to pay the debt. You know, a, a typical example, modern day, you know, they seize your car because you haven't made the payments. So what do you do? You redeem the redemption, you redeem your car and you get it back. How? By paying back all of the back debts and the interest and the penalty. You redeem, you buy back. Okay? Another, uh, uh, another term used to explain this uh, word, to liberate or to set free those either ruled by a higher authority or held captive by a stronger force. That's another facet of that meaning of redemption. Uh, example, in the Second World War, when not just the Americans, but the British and Canadians, but we're talking about the Americans here, when the Americans liberated or redeemed the prisoners in German labor and death camps after World War II. Those prisoners were too weak. They were unable to free themselves. They were kept prisoner. Okay. Some of them, you know, we, we read about that the German, their captors and their guards had run away, but they themselves were so weak, so malnourished, so sick, they couldn't leave the camps. And so they were redeemed, they were freed, they were liberated. Also another meaning, another facet of this word, uh, to remove from grave danger or dire circumstances. For example, rescuers would redeem or free people trapped in the rubble of an explosion or a, you know, a, certainly here in Oklahoma, you know, a, a tornado. You know, they're, they're, they're under the house, they're alive, but they can't get out. Right? So they're liberated, if you wish. They're removed from grave danger. And then, of course, to, there's another meaning. In other words, they use this word redemption in a lot of different ways. Okay? So one of the ways uh, they used it uh, when they wanted to explain when someone was acquitted of a crime. For example, we remember uh, the, the trial of the last century, the 20th century. You know, O.J. Simpson, the football player, accused of murdering his wife and another, uh, another man. And those who watched the trial, what did we see? We saw O.J. being redeemed from the charge of murder when the jury found him not guilty. So the jury's action freed him, redeemed him. That same word could be used in that context as well. So the basic concept of redemption is that it describes the setting free of someone or something. Now, there are a lot of redemption themes, if you wish, that run through the Bible. Some Old Testament examples of redemption. 
um, God rescues or frees or liberates or redeems the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. Now the way that God redeemed or set them free was through the mighty deeds that He did through Moses. You know in Exodus chapter uh, 3, right? Uh, the plagues and that He sent on Egypt. That's the way that He redeemed them. He freed them. Uh, this freedom, of course, this redemption, meant three things for the Israelites. And let's read that passage in Exodus uh, chapter 6. It says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great uh, judgments. Verse 7, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So this freedom, this redemption meant certain things for the Israelites. First of all, actual freedom from physical slavery. They were physically slaves of the Egyptians. They, they couldn't free themselves. They couldn't run away. They couldn't overpower the Egyptians. They needed someone to free them, to redeem them. Okay? Secondly, gave them a new identity. They became God's people. He freed them. He liberated them. He redeemed them. Why? For Himself. They became His people at this point. And then thirdly, there was a new purpose in their life. And the new purpose was to know God. And you know, we know the story of Exodus and he gives them the commandments and so on and so forth. So the idea of redemption is not just a New Testament concept. It has been running through the Bible all the way from the Garden of Eden all the way to, uh, to Jesus Christ. So every time God freed His people from danger or enslavement or sin, God was reinforcing the idea that He was man's redeemer. He's the one that accomplishes the redemption. So, okay, so we've got some Old Testament examples. Let's go to the New Testament. In the New Testament, the idea of redemption is centered on God's work of freeing mankind, not from human slavery or physical threat, but rather from the enslavement of sin and the resulting penalty of death. So this theme runs through the New Testament. In John chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. There's the slavery. Whoever sins is a slave of sin. Once we begin to sin, we cannot stop sinning. Now we can limit sin, we can keep it down, but we cannot eliminate completely sin from our lives. Uh, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So uh, you know, sin is there, right? We can't stop once we start. And then the Bible tells us everyone sins. There are no exceptions. Everyone is guilty and faces judgment and condemnation. Why? Because of sin. And then in Romans 6, 23, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the final outcome of sin, Paul says, is eternal separation from God. So there's the problem, right? Sin, we can't stop sinning. We're going to be condemned for sin, right? The penalty is death, separation from God. So God deals with our enslavement to sin and the punishment we face. How does He deal with that? He sets us free. 
He sets us free. He redeems us through the atonement of Christ. So let's read Romans chapter five, beginning in verse six. It says, for while we were still helpless, and I pause there for a moment, while we were still helpless, right? You know, remember when I gave you the example of you're in a tornado, you're underneath the, you're underneath the house, you're still alive, but you're helpless, right? You can't save yourself. Or you're in that concentration camp, malnourished and ill, and so you can't save yourself. Or you're the Israelites and you're in bondage to the Egyptian slave masters, right? You're helpless, you can't free yourself. So Paul is reaching back to all these examples and he says, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. What's he saying here? He's talking about the atonement, right? in theological terms, the atonement. So while we were helpless, we were imprisoned, right? Christ died for the ungodly, there's the atonement. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. Uh, but what does he say? But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him, verse 10 and 11, for if we, uh, excuse me, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. There's our, right, right, we're talking about reconciliation. So many, have you noticed as, as I read through this, wasn't your mind pinging a little bit? Oh, he's talking about the atonement. Oh, he's talking about reconciliation. Oh, he's talking about redemption, right? Remember I said at the very beginning, this course is like learning a different language. We're, we're describing these things in a different type of, of language. So how, what does God do? What does the atonement do? It, God sets us free. He redeems us. How? Through the atonement of Jesus Christ. So we owe a moral debt to God because we have broken His laws. We cannot pay it because it requires something that we do not have to offer, and that is a sinless life. Jesus pays our moral debt for us by offering His perfect life on the cross, which Paul is explaining here. Now this atonement, what it does, it pays our moral debt to God forever and it permits God to free us, to redeem us from the prison of guilt and condemnation. See how these things are connected? So, um, the atonement of Christ sets us free. Or you could say, the atonement of Christ redeems us. Or you could say, His atonement permits our redemption. Like the Old Testament Israelites, this new freedom, this redemption, means three very specific things for us. And uh, Titus writes about this, or Paul writes about this, to Titus in uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Let's read Titus first, and then we'll, we'll kind of go through these things one by one. So he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope 
and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us, what's that? The atonement. To redeem us, what's that? freedom, right? to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So what was I saying? What's the context of this passage? Why am I quoting this passage? Let me back up. I said, like the Old Testament Israelites, this new freedom, this redemption means three very specific things for us that Paul has described here in Titus. First of all, it means uh, release from slavery. That's the first thing it means. Our redemption, what does it mean to us? It means we're free, freedom from slavery. Verses 11 and 14 in that passage. Because we are forgiven and are under God's grace and now possess the Holy Spirit, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're not in that prison anymore. We're not perfect, of course, but we are gaining many more victories over sin and are no longer worried about condemnation because we've been acquitted. I go back to my O.J. Simpson example. Whether O.J. did it or not, a lot of people thought he really did it. You know, all the evidence certainly pointed that way. Whether O.J. did it or not, they couldn't condemn him anymore. Why? He was acquitted. The jury said not guilty. He couldn't be tried over again for the same crime. Well, in a way, it's like that with us. We're still guilty, aren't we? I mean, but we're acquitted. God, because of what Jesus did, the atonement, considers us not guilty. He acquits us of sin. He knows and we know that we're guilty of sin, but He acquits us. And that acquittal frees us. Okay. And what does that mean? Well, it means I now live as a free person in that context. It also means that we have a new identity. Uh, in verse 14b, um, uh, we're no longer condemned sinners in God's eyes. We're purified people, a people uh, zealous uh, to do God's will. Redemption transforms us into the people of God, right? So we're released from slavery to begin with, and then we have a new identity. Remember what Titus said, or Paul said, and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So we've got a new identity now. We're not condemned sinners. We're saints. We want to do God's will, and we're free to do so. Why? Because we've been transformed. We've been redeemed. We have a new identity. We're, not, we're no longer the people in jail. We're the guilty ones. And then the third thing that freedom means is that we have a new purpose in life. In verse 12 and 13, remember in Titus he says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So we have a, we have a new purpose. And our purpose and direction is heavenward. Our purpose in life is to be ready for the return of Christ by being faithful and busy in His service. That's my new purpose in life. Yes, before I was baptized, you know, I worked, uh, I don't know, I worked for the government, so I worked out a tinker, and after I was baptized, I'm still working out a tinker, I'm still that person. But now I have a new direction spiritually, morally, in my life. And so redemption 
is the net result of Christ's atoning work on the cross. His atonement permits our redemption. We're freed. And because we are freed, we have a new identity, we have a new purpose, new direction in life. All right, so this freedom or redemption Christ obtains for us has certain features also explained in the New Testament. So it tells us also what we are free from. So redemption frees us you know, to do certain things, but it also frees us from certain things. And first of all, it frees us uh, from the fear of death and the illusion that this world is all that there is which seduces us to live just for the here and now. You understand what I'm saying? While we are in sin, one of the effects of sin is that it blinds us to heaven. It blinds us to what God wants for us. And so all we see is what's here. And so we're grubbing around in the dirt. You know what I'm saying? Dog eat dog, survival of the fittest, you know, and so on and so forth. All we see is this material world and we're subject to all the, 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 the temptations and the, the, the values of, of only this world. And a lot of it simply motivated by the fear of death. Well, when we are redeemed, we're also freed from this fear of death. The Hebrew writer describes it. He says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, right, his atonement, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, death that is, the devil. Okay, verse 14, and then in verse 15 it says, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. I'm no longer afraid of death. Now I am afraid of suffering. Who isn't? You know, if you're human, you don't want to suffer. You don't want to linger, you know, bone cancer or something for a long, long time. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. But we're not afraid of, we're free from the fear of death. I don't do things because I got to hurry up or I got to win or I've got to amass so much stuff because once I die it's all over. I got to get what I get now. That's how a lot of people live. I'm free from that impulse because I know that there is another life after this life. And this life is simply a preparation for that life. So I'm free from this fear of death. Secondly, I am free from condemnation that results from judgment. Those who are redeemed are not judged. They're acquitted and so they're not subject to condemnation and punishment anymore. What does Paul say in Romans 8.1? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a comforting thought. The fear of death is A, Either you die and there's nothing, so you got to get what you're going to get now, or the fear of death is when I die, I'm going to be judged for all the bad things that I've done. And I'm afraid to die because afterwards I'm going to be judged. And if I'm going to be judged, I know I'm going to be condemned because I'm a sinner. But those who are redeemed no longer are afraid of that condemnation because they know they've been acquitted, not guilty. What do you think it means when you go down in the water of baptism and you wash away your sins? All your sins are washed away. The Lord remembers them no more. And because I am considered acquitted, 
innocent in the eyes of God, I'm, I don't have that dread of condemnation anymore. As Paul says, there is no condemnation, no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. How did I get there? Well, through the atonement of Christ, which redeemed me. And then I'm also freed from eternal death. Those who are redeemed will be fitted with a new body that will live forever. I read this passage before, but let's read the second part. It says, for the wage of sin is death. Yes, we know that. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how will I live in heaven? You know, I like to, some people say, what's heaven like? Well, I, I usually say it's another dimension. Hard for us to understand because you know, no one's been there except Jesus you know, and, and come back to tell us. So I'm going to be fitted in order to exist in that dimension. I'm going to be fitted with a type of a body uh, that is able to stand before God without being completely annihilated. All right? So I, I, I tend to think that, that's, that being clothed with Christ is the thing that allows any of us to stand before God without being uh, annihilated. So uh, this freedom from the fear of death, freedom from condemnation and judgment, freedom from eternal death, not just dying you know, of a heart attack, but the spiritual death, you know, hell. We're freed from all those things. How? Through the redemption that comes through the atonement that Jesus has done on our behalf. So those are some of the things that we are freed from. Now there are other things that we're not freed from. You know, redemption does not free us from every negative experience. For example, we're not freed from physical death. Because physical death comes upon everyone, whether they're redeemed or not. Hebrews 9.27 says, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So the Bible says that everybody's going to die. Everyone dies. So I'm not free. As a Christian, I'm not free from physical death. I'm also not free from the effects of sin in our lives. You know, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says, uh, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. So Paul is saying, and this is Paul who did miracles, who planted churches, who lived you know, a life uh, so fruitful in his service to the Lord and so on and so forth. And when he looks at himself, what does he say? He's the chief sinner. You know, he still recognizes the the sin in, in his flesh. So um, become, being redeemed doesn't mean that I am going to do away with the effect of sin in our lives. You know, the guilt and anguish and regret, the impact that sin has. We're free from the spiritual consequences of sin, you know, the eternal death, but not necessarily the physical ones. There are still things that I did in the past that continue to affect me today in one way or another. You know, I, I use the example of the person who's a, a serious alcoholic um, you know, and finally recognizes uh, you know, that Jesus is uh, the Son of God and confesses His name and becomes a Christian, he's baptized, so on and so forth. Right? Uh, that person will still feel the effects of a lifelong uh, alcohol addiction. You know, he may still 
get cirrhosis of the liver and die from that. Yeah, his soul is saved, but he's already done the damage to his body. So we still feel the effects of not just our sin, but the sins of, of other people. You know, the thief on the cross, he still died on the cross, didn't he? I mean, the thief that said you know, to Jesus, you know, remember me, and Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You know, that thief would have been nice. You know, oh, he gets off the cross, he gets a second chance. No, he still died. They still broke his legs. He still died in agony. His soul was saved, but his body still suffered the consequences of his sinful life. And, and another thing, we're not f completely freed from temptation and failure. Okay? The redeemed still stumble and fall into sin, but they have protection and a promise that their souls are safe despite this. So John says, uh, in 1 John he says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, here he's saying, if we say, who's the we? He's talking about Christians. So he says, if Christians say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And so we, we, as Christians, we can't say we have no sin. We're still sinners. Then he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all uh, unrighteousness. So the atonement of Jesus works for as long as we continue to acknowledge that we need it. Okay? I, the only way I stand before God is to continually acknowledge the fact that I need the atonement of Jesus every day of my life until the day I, I die. So, Redemption is a state that impacts our souls and guarantees our future with God even if our physical lives continue to experience the power and the effect of sin. So these are things that are happening to us simultaneously. The New, Test uh, the New Testament also explains you know, when does this freedom take place. So I've talked to you what are we free from? What are we not free from? Okay, next question. So when does this freedom begin? Well, there's a moment in time when our personal freedom takes effect. Just as the uh, prisoner is released from prison, uh, just as that prisoner can tell you the date that he was set free, the Bible describes the exact moment each soul experiences that redemption. Now the atonement of Christ was uh, uh, devised by God before time began. But it occurred in an historical event when Christ died on the cross, right? It didn't just happen any old time. It, it happened at the right time, a specific time. A day and a moment and an hour can be determined when the atonement took place. We can fix a day and time when the atonement took place. Right? It happened on the cross on a particular day and time. We can fix a day and time when God furnished proof that the atonement was valid, that it worked, that the sacrifice for sin was accepted. And what was that time? Well, that was the, 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 the resurrection time. Well, in the same way, the Bible provides an exact moment when redemption happens, and that is at baptism. The New Testament uses different words and images to express this, but it's always the same point that is made. Man is free from sin and eternal death when? 
at the moment of baptism. Let's look at some of the scriptures that kind of support this idea. In Mark 16, 16, right? Uh, in Mark 16, 16, Jesus refers to the freedom as being saved. You know, those who believe and are baptized, he said, will be saved. Well, that saved, what's he referring to? Well, he's referring to the freedom that we have, right? The redemption. When does that happen? Well, when they're baptized. In John chapter 3, verse 3, uh, refers to freedom there um, as being born again. Remember I told you once that the Bible, use a whole, the Bible uses a whole different sets of words at times simply to describe the very same thing. So in all these passages, uh, Jesus, the apostles and others are describing the redemption and they're describing it in different words and when it happens. So in Mark 16, they're, they're referring to the redemption as being saved. Okay? When does that happen? When you believe in you're baptized. In John 3 verse 3 refers to freedom as being you know, born again. When does that happen? The water and the spirit. What's the water talking about? Well, the water's talking about baptism. In Acts 2.38, Peter describes redemption in terms of forgiveness and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, when does that happen? Well, Peter said, repent and be baptized. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins so that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see what I'm saying? Describing redemption in terms of forgiveness and the receipt of the Holy Spirit. And when does that happen? Well, baptism. In Acts 22, 16, uh, here refers to this freedom as a cleansing from sin. Ananias says to Paul, Saul, why do you wait? Right? Arise and be baptized and do what? Wash away your sins. Okay? Um, in Galatians 3, 26, it describes this phenomenon of redemption uh, using the term putting on Christ. You know, all those who are baptized with Christ, he says, have put on Christ. So this redemption, this freedom is described as putting on Christ. And when does that happen? Well, in the waters of baptism. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says that redemption is an appeal and a granting of a clear conscience. Peter says, uh, now it's baptism that saves you. How? As an appeal to God for a good conscience, right? So this redemption, this freedom, is described in, in terms of having a clear conscience. And when does that happen exactly? Always the same thing. Notice I, I've, I've, I've done one, two, three, four, five, six. I've, 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 I've quoted six different passages by different people in different contexts, and they're always saying the same thing. This freedom, this redemption, takes place at a certain time. And every one of these passages mentions Baptism as the time that this takes place. So the Bible uses a lot of terms to describe this redemption, this freedom, this liberation, but uses the same moment and act to pinpoint when this redemption occurs, and that is at baptism. So when a person believes that Jesus is the Son of God and has died to atone for his sins, when a person acts on this belief by repenting of his sins and is buried in the waters of baptism, at that very moment, he or she has what? Well, has that redemption. This happens only one time, does not happen before or after. It only happens at this particular moment of baptism. So I always tell people, you're never any freer than on the day and the moment that you were baptized. You're, ne you're never any more saved. You, know, you don't get more saved 50 years after your baptism. You're as saved as you're going to get the day you come out of the waters of baptism. Okay, so one other thing, what are we free to do? Notice we've talked about freedom, right, in this class? We've talked about freedom. In other words, redemption means 
various sorts of freedom. So we've talked about what we're free from, death, condemnation, what we are not free from, you know, the physical effects and our own personal death. When does this freedom begin? The moment of baptism. And then what are we free to do? People who are freed from threats of death or prison usually go back to their old life or they try to take new directions that will help them avoid being imprisoned again, hopefully. When one is freed or redeemed from sin and condemnation and eternal death by God, he is now free to pursue uh, the things that God wants him to do. That's what Paul talks about in Colossians uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. Now Peter explains the way, the lifestyle of one who has experienced redemption and is now free and empowered to follow a godly lifestyle. So what are we free to do? Let's read what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 4. He says, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So right here he's talking about the freedom. You've escaped. You've been freed, redeemed. Okay? He goes on to say, now for this very reason also. What reason? Because you've escaped, right? Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So this is the activity and the direction of a spiritual life freed from sin by Jesus Christ. Now what Peter explains here is the substance of that born again life and what it actually looks like to the outside observer. This is what people do who have been redeemed by Christ's atonement. So we're freed from the prison of sin and now we live like free men and women, not free to do as we want, but free and empowered to do as God wants us to do. This is the only freedom that exists. So let me close out and say the following. Redemption is the doctrine that explains what man receives as a result of Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. In a word, what does Jesus' sacrifice on the cross produce for you and me? In one word, it produces freedom. Okay? So let me give you 10 words or less that describe the first four sub-doctrines of reconciliation. And those are election, predestination, atonement, and redemption. All right, 15 words or less. God foreknew that the atonement of Christ would redeem believers. That's, as, you know, that's shrinking it down as small as I can make it. All right, well, thank you for your attention. We'll pick it up next time as we move on to lesson number 13.